6 p.m. and you're tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, July 11th. I'm Annabella Funk, and this is your KVMR Evening News. Coming up on the California Report, LA County is ramping up its distribution of the monkeypox vaccine with a targeted approach due to the limited number of vaccines. And thousands of California tenants denied pandemic relief may get another chance. Later in National Native News, Antonio Gonzalez reports on the investigation by U.S. Secretary of Interior Deb Holland. Next up, we'll take a look at local news and weather. All this and more coming up in the next half hour. This is the California Report. I'm Maddie Bolaños in San Francisco. L.A. County is ramping up its distribution of monkeypox vaccines, and it's also expanding its list of who can get the shots. As KPCC senior health reporter Jackie Fortier reports, L.A.'s approach is different from other parts of the country. New York City and Washington, D.C. are offering shots to any high-risk adult who wants one, including men who have sex with men. L.A. County is taking a more targeted approach. The county's current batch of 6,000 doses will only be available to people with monkeypox, their close contacts, and high-risk people recommended by their health provider. That's partly because of a limited supply of vaccine. I think here in L.A. County what's different is we really want to ensure that we're able to offer the vaccine in an equitable way for those at highest risk of monkeypox. Andrea Kim runs the county's vaccination program. She says sexual health clinics will offer the shots to certain high-risk patients across the county. They know their clientele, so we really want to be working with them to integrate the vaccine into their routine clinical care. Monkeypox usually spreads through close contact. Symptoms include a fever, aches, and a rash with painful pustules. So far, L.A. County has more than 50 probable or confirmed cases. No one has died here from the disease. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. Thousands of tenants who were denied pandemic rent relief may soon get a second chance. KQED's Aaron Baldessari reports a judge in Alameda County last week ordered the state to temporarily stop issuing denials and to hold off on finalizing many others. As of June 23rd, the state had denied close to 160,000 applications for emergency rental assistance, according to the research group PolicyLink. That's about a third of all applications. The state's Department of Housing and Community Development says it always gives a reason for denials, but tenant advocates say those reasons are often vague and confusing, which makes it hard to appeal. And a judge agreed. Madeline Howard is an attorney with the Western Center on Law and Poverty. We're hopeful that the tenants who benefit from this order will be able to get these unfair denials reversed and get access to the rental assistance that they need to stay in their homes. A statewide moratorium on evictions for people waiting on rent relief expired on July 1st. But Howard says many people are still protected under local moratoriums, including in Alameda County, San Francisco and Los Angeles. Howard says tenants who've been denied rent relief should reach out to the state hotline. Reaching out to the hotline will hopefully allow you to get more information about why you're being denied so you can figure out if there's other documents that you need to submit or other steps that you need to take. The next hearing in the case is scheduled for August. For the California Report, I'm Erin Baldessari. The Washburn Fire has now doubled in size in the historic Yosemite National Park. More than 2,000 acres have burned, and firefighters are working in difficult terrain to protect some of the largest and oldest redwood trees in the world. 
Residents and campers near the fire have been evacuated, and thick smoke has worsened the region's air quality and obscured the park's scenic views. The fire, which started on July 7th, threatens at least 500 giant sequoias in the Mariposa Grove. Sticking to wildfires, a federal judge has ordered the National Park Service to halt a tree removal operation meant to prevent severe wildfires in Yosemite National Park. Last week's order came after an environmental organization, the Earth Island Institute, sued the National Park. The organization says the Park Service failed to provide proper public notice or assess environmental risks. L.A. Times reporter Felicia Alvarez has been covering the issue. Part of the Earth Island Institute's argument was a letter that over 200 scientists signed on to last year urging Congress and the Biden administration to really turn away from these forest thinning and logging projects for fire management and to go with other proposals like prescribed burns instead. Prescribed burns across the state have been delayed by a lack of people certified to run them. Moving on to bridges in California. In the Bay Area, there's of course the Golden Gate and Bay Bridge. Sacramento has its Tower Bridge, and San Diego, the Coronado Bridge. But what about Los Angeles? Over the weekend, the new 6th Street Viaduct opened in L.A., and it connects the city's Boyle Heights neighborhood with downtown. The bridge costs more than half a billion dollars to build, and it's the largest and most expensive bridge project in the history of Los Angeles. And finally, there are plenty of anecdotes about friends and neighbors packing up and leaving California. But a new report provides some evidence to back up claims of a Golden State exodus. Researchers looked at moving patterns over the last several years, including during the pandemic. They found that outflow of Californians remained consistent. KCRW's Matt Gillum has the details. A good way to track moves is to look at information from moving companies. And that's exactly what the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago did. They crunched data from United Van Lines and tracked migration patterns both before and during the pandemic. Whether it was a time prior to any of us being familiar with social distancing or well into the COVID era, the top state-to-state move, according to the Chicago Fed study, was from California to Texas. The next most popular destination for Golden State residents, again, both pre- and post-pandemic, was Washington. Interestingly, California to Florida jumped from the fifth-largest state-to-state move pre-COVID to the third-biggest after the health crisis set in. The analysis shows California consistently remained a state with more outbound migration between 2018 and 2021, with the percentage of moves away from the Golden State slightly ticking up after the onset of the pandemic. As for conclusions, the researchers say they're leaving what may have motivated the moves up to others— They point out that Postal Service data shows requests for a temporary change of address notably rose between February and July of 2020, which could indicate not all of the pandemic-era moves were permanent. For the California Report, I'm Matt Gillum. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, providing people with financial tools like the Retirement Planner to help them achieve their financial goals. PersonalCapital.com Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now is the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org.
And that's the California Report for Monday, July 11th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In national native news, Antonia Gonzalez speaks on the new redistricting law that could dilute the voting impact of Native American voters in North Dakota, as well as Secretary of Interior Deb Holland's investigation into U.S. Indian boarding schools and their impacts on Native communities. More from Antonia Gonzalez. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Secretary of the Interior Deb Holland traveled to Oklahoma over the weekend for the first stop on her Road to Healing tour to hear from former Indian boarding school students and descendants. The tour is part of Holland's federal investigation into U.S. Indian boarding schools and their impacts on tribal communities. The investigation was launched last year and includes gathering testimony and finding trauma-informed support for healing. Holland was joined by Interior Department staff and tribal officials at a gym packed with people at the Riverside Indian School in Anadarko. The first hour of Saturday's event was open to the press to hear remarks from officials. The rest of the day was closed to provide space for participants to share their stories. Native News Online reports some boarding school survivors did speak publicly during the first hour, recounting painful memories of the trauma they endured at boarding school, including physical, mental, and sexual abuse. Holland has expressed the need to gather testimony, acknowledging it won't be easy, but says it's a necessary part of the investigation. A federal judge last week denied a motion by the state of North Dakota to dismiss a voting rights lawsuit by the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa Indians and the Spirit Lake Nation, KFYR-TV reports. The lawsuit is challenging North Dakota's legislative redistricting, claiming it violates the Voting Rights Act. It claims the state's new redistricting law dilutes the voting strength of Native American voters from the reservations by packing Turtle Mountain Reservation in one district and cracking out Spirit Lake, reducing from two to one the number of state House seats Native voters have an opportunity to elect their candidate of choice. The tribes want a redistricting plan that combines both reservations in a single legislative district. The case is now expected to proceed. Chronic wasting disease is fatal for wildlife and it might be dangerous for hunters who depend on those animals for food and traditional practices. That's why researchers are training dogs to sniff out the disease on the Blackfeet Nation in Montana. Aaron Bolton reports. At the Working Dogs for Conservation training facility near Missoula, trainer Michelle Vasquez releases a rambunctious black lab named Charlie. He begins looking for blank-footed ferret scent hidden in one of a handful of containers on the floor. The other ones have like bedding in them, rocks, grass, maybe prairie dog scent, whatever we think that they might encounter in the wild. Charlie quickly finds the right scent and is rewarded with a stuffed pink dragon to play with. Good job, bud. Later this summer, Vasquez will train dogs like Charlie to sniff out chronic wasting disease in deer and elk scat on the Blackfeet Nation. Blackfeet water researcher Suta Callinglass, nonprofit Indigenous Vision, is leading the project. Right now it feels a little scary because we we don't know the impact, we don't know where it's at, and uh, we don't know what it's going to look like 20 years from now. CWD hasn't been shown to infect humans, but federal health officials and researchers haven't ruled it out completely. Callinglass says CWD could threaten food security for Blackfeet tribal members and says it's already pushed some people away from cultural practices like brain tanning because it's considered high risk. 
Currently, the only way to know where the disease is present is to test animals shot by hunters or killed on highways, which takes a lot of time and resources tribes don't always have. Calling Last hopes the dogs will be a new way for wildlife managers to detect the disease early and protect herds that serve as food and cultural resources for tribal members. For National Native News, I'm Aaron Bolton. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Stronghearts Native Helpline, providing no-charge confidential support and resources to Native Americans affected by domestic and sexual violence 24-7 at 1-844-7-NATIVE or strongheartshelpline.org. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at local news. As of 8 a.m. this morning, Cal Fire gave an update to the Rice's fire, which is currently at 98% contained. In other news, according to the Union newspaper, the Nevada County Clerk Recorder race was in a call for a recount based on alleged ballot inconsistencies. The recount call was initiated by Randy Economy, a conservative talk show host from Coachella Valley. The recount was expected to cost almost $83,000, for which Mr. Economy would be held financially responsible. Greg Diaz sent out an email this afternoon stating that as of 3.45 p.m. today, the recount call has been terminated, citing a letter sent to his office by Randy Economy. In the letter, Mr. Economy stated, In accordance with the California Election Code Section 15624, I am terminating my request for the recount and ballot inspection delivered July 4, 2022. Mr. Economy did not state a reason for the termination of the election recount. Turning now to local weather and the AQI Air Quality Index. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight we have clear skies with a low around 68. Tuesday is sunny with a high near 94. The AQI in Grass Valley and Nevada City is good with an AQI of zero. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight is clear with a low around 55. Tuesday is sunny with a high near 78. Note that there is a heat warning in place for Tahoe and Truckee areas for lower valleys in the upper 80s to 90s in the Sierra Valleys, today through Wednesday. Smoke from the Washburn Fire near Yosemite will return to the Mono County and Tahoe Basin later this evening and into Tuesday afternoon. A thunderstorm is also brewing in the Tahoe region, so right now might not be the best time to do a day trip to Tahoe. The AQI in Truckee is good at a 20 AQI. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight is clear with a low around 63. Tuesday will be sunny and hot with a high near 97. The AQI in Sacramento is good at 22. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR.
Sid Brown speaks on Sierra Gold Park Foundations, which supports all three of Nevada County State Parks, and the tours and activities coming up at Empire Mines State Historic Park. More from Sid Brown. Well, um, we're in the midst of summer, and uh, since we last spoke, uh, we had a beautiful little um, event out at Malakoff Diggins Humbug Day. That was the second Saturday in June. Beautiful little event. And if you missed it, put that on your calendars for next year. Second Saturday in June out at Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park. Well, at Empire Mines State Historic Park, we have all kinds of things happening. First of all, for the month of July, we are having tours, special garden tours on Wednesdays. That's at 10.30, and the July theme is perennials, and those tours at 10.30 are led by um, state park docents who are very knowledgeable about the gardens and all the plants that are planted on the interior of Empire Mine State Historic Park. On Wednesdays after the garden tour, there are state tours, which includes the interior of the Bourne Cottage, that beautiful building next to the lawn and the fountains. And so at 11.30, that's the time you are allowed to go into the cottage interior with a um, state park guide. And then at 12.30 is a mine yard tour. So if you have a Wednesday free, you can see three special tours, and they are all included with the price of admission. So there's no extra fee for those. On Fridays, we offer at Empire Mine State Historic Park the estate tour at 11 and the mine yard tour at noon. Then Saturdays and Sundays, 11 o'clock for the estate yard uh, state tour, 12 o'clock for the mine yard, and then we go back and forth, 1 o'clock for the estate tour, and 2 o'clock for the mine yard tour. We try to squeeze in on Saturdays a 10.30 garden tour. Again, the theme for July is perennials for those garden tours. And the blacksmiths are in all day showing their craft, and that's when the days are below 90 degrees Fahrenheit. At South Yuba River State Park, of course, we just experienced a very traumatic event with the Rice's Fire in the uh, Rice's Crossing area. It involved uh, state park land and Bear Yuba Land Trust properties and some other properties. And there was a closure for a period of time at South Yuba River State Park, but that closure has now been lifted and is just limited to the area of Rice's Crossing. So at South Yuba River State Park, the Bridgeport area is open, the Bridgeport parking lot is open, and all three crossings are open. I'm happy to say that the Jones Bar Trail is now open and receiving good use down near 49 and um, the South Yuba River State Park. I, I do want to reiterate about the closure, the update of the closure at the Bridgeport area. The area that are closed for safety of the public until further notice are lands in the vicinity of Rice's Crossing Road, Cranston Road, and Troost Trail, directly affected by the fire. 
So back to Jones Bar Trail, that's a new trail that provides access south and downstream of the 49 crossing. And the trail beyond that, uh, the Independence Trail beyond that new Jones Bar Trail is still closed until further notice as we work to recreate and rebuild from the Jones Bar Fire a couple of years ago. The Independence Trail East is open as well. The river is running cold, but it is certainly very inviting on these hot days, and we do encourage all river users to recreate responsibly. Please leave no trace. Be aware that the current can be very cold. The water can be very cold. We want people to be safe, know their limits, and we are very pleased to have a wonderful cooperating association with the South Yuba River Citizens League and the river ambassadors that are stationed at each of the river crossings to provide information and support for users of our beautiful South Yuba River. Again, no fires in the River Canyon, no barbecues at South Yuba River State Park, no barbecues in the picnic areas at Empire or at Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park. Now, at Malakoff, we do have a campground, and the campground is available right by reservation, and we do have designated campfire rings where you can have a campfire inside the campground. Um, again, those campsites are beautiful. They're available by reservation. So I encourage you to check out how to do that. It's one of the most beautiful little campgrounds we have in the state park system. And we are pleased to announce that we are having campfire programs. And so on July 30th at 8 o'clock at the Shoot Hill Campfire Center, there will be a campfire program, Dressing Bear Knowledge and Safety. And then we also are having guided hikes at Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park on the 30th and the 31st of July at 9 o'clock. Meet at the Visitor Center, and these guided tours are for no additional fee. It's the normal parking fee or entry fee to Malakoff Diggins. We have uh, these tours meeting at 9 o'clock, um, our tour in, down into the Diggins, led by a experienced and very informative and knowledgeable tour guide. Take a tour down into the Diggins with uh, Colt. I do want to remind everybody to please remember to park in designated parking areas. We've had problems accessing emergency access to some of the river spots, especially at Purden and along uh, Pleasant Valley Road. So obey the parking signs. If there's no place to park, perhaps find another place to go. And please remember to treasure your state parks. Let's keep them safe and clean and beautiful for all to enjoy now and into the future. That's all for now. We'll see you next time. And that's our newscast for this Monday, July 11th. Head over to kvmr.org and listen and subscribe to KVMR Podcasts. Support for KVMR comes from its generous listeners and from Four Paws Animal Clinic. Doctors Susan Murphy and Sue Lester and staff are proud to support KVMR, providing medical, dental, alternative, and surgical services for cherished companions on Searles Avenue in Nevada City. Fourpawsac.com. In Sierra Derm, 
for dermatology, specializing in general and cosmetic dermatology, skin cancer detection, and skin cancer removal for over 18 years. Located across from Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital, Grass Valley. New patient openings available. More information at sierraderm.com. Keep it tuned to your community radio station. At 6.30, it's programming of WINGS. Dr. Andrea O'Reilly, professor of women's studies at York University, speaks on her work to bring the subject of motherhood forward into academia. Coming up at 7 p.m., we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. Tonight's evening news was produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for tuning in to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. My name is Anna Funk, and I'm your evening news anchor for KVMR. Join us Tuesday at 6 p.m. for another edition of KVMR Evening News.